Welcome to part two of this two-part series with QSource and Indiana State Long-Term Care Ombudsman Director, Lynn Klo. Let's continue the conversation as we were previously discussing residents' rights and Lynn's role as Ombudsman Director in the state of Indiana and her impact on long-term care. Can you talk a little bit about resident respect and dignity? And I kind of wanted to go down a little bit of a, a path there about chemical restraints. So are antipsychotic drugs. It's a big ordeal with gradual dosage reductions and the use of these of these medications, whether it's beneficial to the resident, of course, and um, also the needs of the facility as far as behaviors or being adverse behaviors and things. So my question would be, how can we deal with the use of antipsychotic drugs, chemical restraints, how do we avoid that becoming a chemical restraint that bridging that gap? One, to be more specific, a resident has been on this type of medication for many years and it's controlled them. They now enter a long-term care facility where required to do gradual dosage reductions. That's frightening to some families. That's frightening to the individual. How can an ombudsman help with that? Well, I think the ombudsman would want to, you know, know the history of the mm-hmm. resident and those medications. Again, you know, we're not clinicians mm-hmm. by any means, but we're still going to advocate that that resident, the GDRs do take place, but they take mm-hmm. place in a humane way, in mm-hmm. a way that, you know, following the doctor's orders and uh, making sure that any side effects are, uh, or behaviors, it's going to happen. But training staff to watch for those behaviors and mm-hmm. training them how to handle those behaviors and what happens when those behaviors happen, I think is a big part of that. Would you be able to speak on maybe if a family or a resident reached out to you and said, you know, I've been on this meds for so long and I, um, I'm required to try a dosage reduction but I just don't want to, because I know in the past I've tried and failed. Mm-hmm. I think the ombudsman would, again, try to, to mediate between uh, the facility and the resident, again, with the resident's permission, mm-hmm. and with the doctor. What happened when mm-hmm. this resident went off of that medication or lowered the dosage? What kind of behaviors happened? I think we would be able to try to mediate between the doctor and the facility. Maybe some common interventions or kind of ease right. those fears maybe. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, because that's a scary moment for them. Sure it is. They're not always the best medications, but, you know, you get used to a certain mental health state, and that is frightening right. for some. Sure. Sure it is. Yeah. So, and especially for some of our families, you know, that have witnessed past mental health crises and things. So. That would be a great asset for you to say, I'm, I'm here with you and I can stand to support you. Let's find a common ground. Yes. And yes. That's, again, that's where we go back to. That's what the the ombudsmen are for. We're mediators and we're mm-hmm. helpers. Mm-hmm. That's excellent. That's excellent. In facilities, we have a lot of married couples now, which is great. Do you find that an advocacy for that, you know, as far as sharing rooms, the resident rights, making sure that both parties' rights are are seen as far as their married life, or what kind of role could you play a part in that in the facilities? Well, again, we would want to know what, what each resident wants. Married couple, do they want to stay in the same room? 
and we would help advocate for their wishes. You said it very eloquently just a minute ago, mediating and helping them to come to the a resolution that satisfies both of their wishes. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't always happen. Sure. It's not going to happen in every situation, but, you know, we want to make sure that the residents are aware mm-hmm. of their rights to be mm-hmm. in the same room. And it's a wonderful thing. We have several cases and facilities where residents meet. They decide that they have a, a connection, that they have fallen in love and they want to be together. And even sometimes there's been marriages that take place or significant other kind of relationship. Sometimes that gets a little bit, emotions get involved. There's a lot of emotions that take place in all kinds of parties with that. Can you talk about that? I have not personally been involved in that uh, situation as an ombudsman. But again, I can say that, you know, I know it does happen. Again, I think that the ombudsman would want to speak with both parties and be a part of the care plan meeting. And how can we get to where both parties are satisfied, the residents. Family members, we do have to explain to family members that we're going to come down on the side of what the resident wants. And that's not always easy for family members to understand. Lots of emotions there. And sometimes weeding through those emotions is really what needs to take place. Right. And that mediation, the conflict resolution, that ombudsman those skills that ombudsmen have are can be very useful in situations like that. Let's let's talk about financial affairs. Can you talk to us about residents' rights regarding their finances and their cognitive ability? Or a lot of times, uh, power of attorneys get confused when that becomes an effect and say the resident has in that. Meaning, like you'll have a healthcare representative or a power of attorney that handles your finances while you're in a facility. Sometimes it gets confused of if I give power of attorney right now to whomever, then I've given it away forever. So sometimes the residents or family members believe that if if I sign this power of attorney for them to take care of my bills or take care of my health concerns while I'm in a hospital, while I'm in a long-term care facility when I can't, that means that I've given it away for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And ombudsman can educate, provide education on that to the resident, the family members, and you know a prospective POA. If necessary, because so many of our ombudsmen are employees, uh, they're, they're subbed out. They're the subcontract of the AAA. They mm-hmm. are employees of Indiana Legal Services. We have access to those legal services if need be, and we can make those referrals. But again, I think it's a matter of explaining what a power of attorney is, how long it does last, you know, under what conditions it takes place. Now, we are not attorneys. I I said earlier, a couple of our ombudsmen are attorneys, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. we know we can get answers. We know where to go and make those referrals and get the correct answers for people. So again, we're in that mediation position and sure. being able to uh, provide education. And the correct understanding of when that, when that power of attorney takes effect and when it doesn't. Right. Yeah. That would be very helpful because that is a scary moment to turn turn someone over that kind of control. Sure. You know, sure. A resident can interact with community members outside the facility. 
So they receive visitors at will. They participate in outside activities with family members. They have the right to come and go as they please, correct, while they're in a facility. Sometimes that gets a little bit much when you're in there for rehabs. So, you know, the need to have to be in the facility and making sure that we don't cross those barriers with what our insurance or our rules of our insurance is saying we need long-term care versus us going out on outings and things like that. That sometimes gets a little bit sketchy with like our short-term rehab to stay. We'll have residents that want to go home for the day or spend a night with their families um, and they're in the middle of a a rehab stay. How could we mediate that time spent with family and also the need to satisfy parameters with insurances? How would resident impact rights be there? That's a very good question and one that I've not heard before. So congratulations. (laughs) That's a good one. (laughs) I just hit you on the spot, didn't I? Sorry. That's all right. You know, actually, I would have to do a little research on that one. Uh, Again, you know, we are going to do our best to educate and advocate for the resident, Mm -hmm. their wishes. But by the same token, we still need to work within the confines of a nursing facility's liability. And, uh, you know, that's important, too. So, again, we become that mediator. We're in the middle and we help people come together and make, yeah, and make good decisions, hopefully. I mean, that's our goal. As far as grievances, can you talk a little bit about grievances? Like a a facility resident can represent grievances in the facility, um, maybe appropriate agencies that need to get involved. Even when they contact you, it may not necessarily be a grievance. It could be, I I need some help. I need some support. Is there a difference when they contact you, whether you would receive it as, I need assistance, I need guidance, or is this a grievance or a complaint? First of all, we listen very carefully to what the resident has to say. If we can provide education, that does not necessarily make a complaint. Education on their rights as far as if they want to file a grievance with the facility, If they want our help, we can help them with that. If they want to file a complaint with us or with the Department of Health, you know, we can make that referral as well. Great. I appreciate that. Yes, that was good. Yes. What are some Indiana statistics on long-term care that should be highlighted? We've seen an increase, and not just in Indiana, but across the country, of complaints regarding abuse, neglect, and exploitation. That's just increasing nationwide. Right now, we're reporting um, a total of 1,880 complaints at this time. 162 of those are regarding abuse, neglect, and exploitation, which is nearly 9% of the total. For comparison's sake, the same time period we're looking at, we also see uh, and have seen an increase in complaints regarding admission transfers and discharges. And we're looking at 188 total complaints regarding those discharges or evictions. For comparison's sake, just for total complaints, we had, for last year, we had 1,424. So we've just seen a, an increase of over 400 complaints this year. Mm-hmm. But again, we're, we're seeing that trend. Resident care complaints are starting to increase a little bit. They have over the past several years because of COVID. It's going to be a a few weeks before we'll have those final numbers. 
those trends are they're trending upward. What do you think that some of the things that are contributing to those trends? So like not given like specifics or anything, but uh, resident care complaints, um, especially during COVID. Is there a, a common trend there maybe or a tip that we could have avoid causing those trends? A lot of the care complaints have to do with short staffing. That was immediately what my mind went to as far as resident care is maybe if it was impacted because of our, our short staffing. We just have not recovered from, especially from COVID. Staffing was a challenge before COVID. Right. So trying to um, increase our staff and get folks back into healthcare is certainly a challenge. It does impact our overall care because you're spread out a little bit thinner than you can be. You know, right. so you're trying to do so many different things. I neglected to say that I did spend some time working in a nursing home. This was uh, mm-hmm. a, a while ago. I spent time as um, activities assistant and I worked in social services and marketing mm-hmm. and admissions. And I don't think there's a staff position that is easy <laughs> in a facility. I know that it's backbreaking work. I know that it is. Mm-hmm. It's it's hard work. COVID was really hard on everybody, all the facilities, the residents, staff, administrators. It was just a difficult time. Absolutely. It was a it was certainly a time that we just didn't know. We just didn't know what was coming at us and mm-hmm. and um survive. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it was survive. I did notice and I'm glad you brought up that you were an activity when I talk to some facilities too, and I'm I'm in there, we're, we're working on um, staffing crunches and crises and residents' complaints, that kind of thing. Our um, population is changing in long-term care, meaning they're getting younger and younger. Right. And when I look at things and some of the complaints or some of the concerns of facilities, sometimes it's not just about clinical. And that's where our mind goes, <laughs> is always clinical first. But sometimes it, and when we really drill down and do a root cause analysis, in my experiences, I've found that activities, meaning we need more activities and we need more age appropriate activities mm-hmm. and maybe more than just our, our one activity person. That's a very good point. You're right. Certainly residents are getting younger. Residents are having a higher acuity of care, uh, mm-hmm. needing more care. I think one way that ombudsman can help with this is to work with the resident councils and family councils. And, uh, you know, we can provide training, come in and do an in-service on resident councils. The resident councils should be run by the residents and the family councils. Uh, we can help get family councils started and give them ideas on, on how, to, how to start one. Um, mm-hmm. we, have, we have toolkits for that. But I think getting residents involved in what kind of activities are they interested in? Getting those younger residents involved in resident council and getting their opinion, having them giving input as to what they want to do. I think that's important. We would love to start doing resident council trainings in services for facility staff because there's it's been such a turnover. I know uh, there are a lot of new people, but we would love to start doing something like that. I'd love to hear you say that. Resident council, of course, is um, mandatory in facilities. Most times I think that we could always do better, be better as far as that goes. 
not many facilities have family counsel the way that they should. But you being able to provide that to them, what I, I think that would be outstanding. And even if QSource can help provide that platform for you to do at a wider range, we would be astounded to be able to do that. We can kind of talk about that later on, kind of where that goes. But then also being able to let the facilities, even on my aspect, when I go into facilities, let them know that, that that's out there. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. I would I would absolutely promote that because, and, and maybe we just need a refresher course. We keep going back to the pandemic. Um, things changed in the pandem- pandemic. Sure. And maybe it's just getting back to basics. Mm-hmm. And need in that refresher course, so I would I would love to um, be able to promote that for you and offer those suggestions to the facility. I think that that would be outstanding for them. Great. As we wrap up, you're there for resident rights. You're there um, as an advocate for those residents and to be their support and their um, and to empower them first and foremost. Correct. Yes. Could a nursing home reach out to you and say, Absolutely. "Hey, I need some help." Absolutely. Yeah. Anyone could contact mm-hmm. the ombudsman, but to work with the resident, we need their permission. And uh, but we'd love to work with facilities and the residents to resolve issues. The nursing home can contact the ombudsman. Again, we're going to visit the resident for their permission, and the ombudsman also has to assess the resident whether the resident can communicate their wishes. You know, so sure. that's why we we like to lay eyes on them. But anyone can contact the ombudsman. Residents, facility staff, administrators, family members. We do get calls from family members, but even people in the community, anyone can contact the ombudsman. Great. I want the nursing homes to really feel like it's not a bad thing to say, I need to contact the ombudsman. We need a little bit of help. We need a little bit of guidance to help make all parties come together. Because that's really what we're after, right? Is that is the resident's best well-being. Right. Right. That's our goal. That's mm-hmm. your goal and our goal. Um, you know, and we work for it. You work towards that together. Sure. Absolutely. We, it takes a village, correct? Absolutely. You're right. You're right. Absolutely. It does. Yes. Well, I thank you for your time. And this has been, I think, a great wealth of information for the facilities. And I hope to maybe even put them better informed about what you can provide even the resources that I heard about your continuing education and your toolkits of of your councils, I think will be really beneficial to them. Yes, please reach out. Every facility should have the contact information for the local ombudsman and the state office placed prominently uh, so people can see it. We all know that when new residents come in, when they're admitted, there's a lot going on it's not always the best time to introduce them to, hey, there's an ombudsman here. Mm -hmm. Ombudsman is not an easy word or an easy Mm -hmm. name to remember necessarily. So reminding them that we are available. And, you know, we try to get to every facility at least Mm -hmm. once a quarter. It doesn't always happen. It doesn't. We just don't have the, the manpower to do that. We are working on developing a volunteer program we'd like to get more eyes and ears uh, available for facilities and uh, to work with residents. So that sounds like a wonderful plan in, in a facility. If you had a suggestion on where the facilities should post the ombudsman information, where would you suggest they do so? 
most people are in the dining room or I'd like to see it when someone is in a wheelchair, if they could have it at eye level and when mm-hmm. someone is standing near the entrance or mm-hmm. along a hallway that is traveled by everybody. Frequent traffic. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Common hall. And even, I mean, another way too, I think would be like during our care plans, during admissions, um, when you speak with the social services or your administrator on those quarterly meetings, monthly meetings, um, just to bring up, here's your ombudsman, if you ever should need to contact them. Absolutely. I think that would be great. That would be great. Okay. Do you have anything else to add? I don't think so. But thank you so much for letting me talk about the ombudsman program. I, I you know, it's it's one of my favorite subjects. But um, I so very much appreciate you, and this has been even eye opening for me on some of the resources and better how we can better reuse you. Yeah, it was. It's been a pleasure meeting both of you and and working with you. I'm I'm so glad that you reached out. I look forward to us growing in it, and certainly the pleasure is all ours. We appreciate you so very much. QSource would like to thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to learn more, please visit us at qio.qsource.org. Visit our website for additional podcasts, videos, documents, and more. In addition to listening to QSource podcasts on our website, you can also find us on most media platforms, such as Apple, Google, Spotify, Podbean, and others.